Hello, hello everyone. I'm Peter Resnick and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. I'm all set, I have my ginger tea and I hope I have your full attention. Today is the day for dream work. Remember we set the last show of the month for sharing dreams. If you choose to call, I told you on a number of occasions why it is the most valuable body of knowledge, which is our birthright. The other body of knowledge that is as important is a human, morpholo human morphology or face reading, as it's commonly called. Face reading is good for understanding yourself and others. Night dreams are for not only understanding of where you are emotionally and, and mentally around the time of dreaming, but also for understanding about what must be done to make positive changes in your life if there is a conflict or an imbalance. So if you prepared your night dream uh, and want to share with it, uh, if you have questions about dreams uh, in general, you're welcome to call. The number here is 888-874-4888. Again, 888-874-4888. If for any reason you cannot call and you would like to send me an email, you're welcome to do that. It's drpeterresnik at gmail.com. D-R-P-E-T-E-R-R-E-Z-N as Nancy, I-K at gmail.com. While you're getting ready uh, with your night dreams, and I hope some of you will call. Let me do some a little show and tell. Let me read to you a poem written by Jalaladin Rumi, a great Islamic poet and mystic of 13th century. It's called The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning is a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house, empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some unknown reason, the dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. I like this poem very much, and also actually it fits our talk of today, the night dreams. They're also coming from beyond. You can call it from your... Uh, subconscious mind, I believe it is from our dreaming mind, which is part of our soul. So anyway, if somebody wants to call, I'm, I'm ready to take your phone calls. Uh, if nobody is calling, so then I will, uh, I will talk. I promised you uh, that I will attempt to answer a question Somebody asked me in the email, why bad things happen? 
and why things happen to good, bad things happen to good people. Um, the only way I can answer this question is by referring to the spiritual aspect of life. It's such a huge question. I've been asking it all most of my life. According to uh, the Pew Research Center, which is a very reliable source, 63% of American people consider themselves either religious or spiritual. And you can say, what about one third of population? What about the other uh, 30 plus percent? Well, uh, you have to accept then uh, the answer that Forrest Gump gives. Remember Forrest Gump? Shit happens. And it always does. What happened uh, it has no connection to anything else. You happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, at the wrong corner, and so on. But by the way, um, around the world, only 16.5% of people consider themselves secular. So let's take the spiritual approach to this issue. And as I told you in the previous show, I've been asking this question uh, for a long time because of what happened to my family during the World War II. I read books on philosophy, on religion, which all attempted to answer this question, why bad things happen and why bad things happen to good people. None of those books satisfied me till I came across a a very small book written by Rabbi uh, Arya Kaplan. And the name of the book is If You Were God. In fact, the book was published after Rabbi Kaplan died. And the book had four essays or four lectures that he gave, uh, each as it printed, not more than 20 pages. And the first essay was, was called if you were God. And that short essay helped me somehow to, to answer this question, to be satisfied. So let me give you some, read to you some parts of this essay. So, and then we'll see if it comes across to you as it did to me. Uh, first, the problem. You're given an island where several tribes live. It gives you an analogy. By nature and culture, these tribes are ex exploitive and belligerent. This results in much suffering on the island caused by war, poverty, and prejudice. They have been living this way for centuries without any signs of improvement. Your assignment to try to improve this society to teach its members to live together in harmony and reduce suffering to a minimum or eliminate it entirely to create a healthy society. Your resources. You have all the resources that a highly advanced technology can offer. You have the entire island under surveillance. You can see what's happening in every place at any time. You have such devices as cloud seeding equipment and underground explosives. Within the reason you can control weather, flooding, volcanoes, earthquake, 
produce, quote, any natural phenomena you wish. Literally, you're God. You also have devices that they can then cause uh, or implant subliminal suggestions. You can plant ideas to the entire population or to certain select leaders. However, you must take into the account the uh, severe limitations of subliminal suggestion. If you try to implant any ideas that go against the basic nature of the populace, they will be totally rejected and your efforts will be in vain. Um, so let me find the next. Okay. Your restrictions. Under no circumstances are natives of the island can be aware of your presence. This supersedes all other considerations. The cultural shock caused by your revealing yourself would disrupt the entire fabric of the island's culture. It would cause much suffering and more than offset any good that you could possibly accomplish. The natives would be reduced to a state of almost vegetable-like dependence from which they would be unlikely to recover. Now he poses the question and, and goes to our times. Many people say that these days it is very difficult to believe. We have a generation that has been in, uh, through a brutal murder of millions of people during the World War II. We have seen children burned to death in Vietnam. The nation systematically disseminated in Bangladesh. We see starvation and poverty wherever we look. Good people suffer and dishonest people seem to thrive. Many people ask, what seems to be a very legitimate question? Why does God allow these things? Why doesn't God do something about it? To some extent, the answer should be obvious. It is man, not God, who brings most evil in the world. God does not make wars, men do. God did not kill millions of people in wars. Men did. God does not oppress the poor. Men do. God does not drop napalm. Men do. But people come back and argue, which, which seems to be a very uh, un good argument. Why did God create evil in the first place? Why God, uh, God allows it to exist at all. Why is evil needed? To even begin to understand this, we must look into the poverty purpose of creation, into the uh, purpose of creation. This purpose requires a creature responsible for its own actions. This in turn requires that the man have free free will. I'm sorry, I'm not very clear. I'm reading from the book and the pages kind of are not, not new. If God would have wanted a race of puppets, then he would create, he would have created puppets. But this is not God, what God wanted. God wanted human beings with free will, responsible for their actions, 
But as soon as you have free will, you have the possibility for evil. To make this freedom of choice real, God also had to create the possibility of evil. If nothing but good would be possible, it would reduce, it would produce no benefit. To use the Talmudic metaphor, it would be like carrying a lamp in a broad daylight. How would man behave if God were to constantly reveal himself? Would you really be free? If men were constantly made aware that he was standing in the presence of the king, could he go against the king's will? If God's existence was constantly apparent, this awareness would make man a prisoner. This is one of the main reasons why God created the world, which follows natural laws. And in this way, God conceals himself. Um, that's, that's basically the gist of this essay. I don't know uh, what impact it has on you, but this explanation was enough for me. Uh, particularly with that analogy, you know, if we were God, if we could orchestrate, if I was given this opportunity to manage uh, people who are on much, much, much lower level of awareness than me, like these uh, people on that island that we were reading about. I was satisfied, and for some reason, I no longer have this question, why bad things happen. They happen because they happen. I guess one needs to be ready in order to make some changes. For example, uh, not only this change happened for me, but for many years, I would not buy uh, German cars or had some resentment toward German people. Uh, again, because what happened to my family during the World War II. Now, you know I read the Bible. Every year we read five books of Moses. So I read what we call Torah over and over again. But only five years ago, at the age of 63, finally, one verse struck me. I guess I was ready for it. Uh, as the, the verse where the Hebrews were coming out of Egypt, where they were slaves, God instructed them, you will not hate the Egyptian, for you were strangers in his land. What does it mean? They were slaves. And yet, first the Hebrews were not slaves all the time. First they went there because there was famine and they were welcomed and they were given their own land. For the first 100 plus years, they were not slaves. Then they were enslaved. And what God is saying is, out of gratitude, you must uh, honor people who welcomed you at some time in their land. Uh, Hebrew people who lived in Germany, they were the first who went to concentration camps. But that happened from 1933 till 1944, 45. That's not a long time. For over 100 years, Hebrew people were welcomed in the German land and they succeeded and they were occupying 
great positions, they acquired wealth, they acquired prominence. So because of that, we have to be grateful to them. And honestly, that's what happened nine, uh, exactly uh, what four years ago, three and a half years ago, once I resolved it to myself, magical things happened. I suddenly received a call from somebody in, in Germany uh, who read my book on face reading and, and translated my book into German, became my friend. And I met many, many wonderful German people. Just as I opened myself to it, the whole world that I closed myself from opened itself to me. Anyway, that's, that's what I wanted to share with you. Uh, and I hope the why bad things happen uh, to good people also got clarified. Also, uh, yeah, I have to add, in in the Bible, it's there is a passage, there is a, a verse that says this: "I will pay in full those who hate me, so I no longer have to deal with them, and reward those who love me at the end." That's a strange verse, because what does it mean at the end? Who, those who love me, we know that there are many wonderful religious people from, from different denominations who lived an honorable life and died in pain, sometimes in martyrdom, sometimes just being sick. But if God says, I will reward them in the end, this is not a reward, pain and suffering, which means this is not the end. This is the end of physical existence. In the end, it means when we continue our journey on the other side. And the, the part where it's written, I will pay off uh, hate me. What the sage, excuse me. <coughs> what the sages teach is there is a principle, it's called Midaka Neget Nigda. Measure for measure, measure for measure. So people who did something, even people who are evil, they may have done something good, which means that maybe they were uh, good children, good grandchildren, or gave donations, so did something positive. So God says, I will pay you off, that is in this life, so I would not deal with you any longer, which means that if a person is really evil, they are cut off, which means they die and their soul is extinct. That's what um, the sages teach. So if a person did something so evil that cannot be forgiven, a person is extinct. The person will not go through cycles of what we call reincarnation. So anyway, uh, now I, I want to pause and, and let people to call those who who want to share with their dreams. Otherwise, I will continue talking. I don't have a choice. So anybody is calling? Anybody is there? Anybody wants to share with a night dream? No? Oh, yes, yeah. Mohammed from New York. Welcome, Mohammed. We'll take your call. Thank you very much. Welcome, and thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Um, Dr. Uh, Resnick, uh, yes. I have a... 
I have a varied thought about dreams. Part of mine comes from being a student of psychoanalysis. And in psychoanalysis, they would tell us that um, dreams, they said what we dreamed about and we didn't, we, they say if you woke up without understanding what you dreamed, they said it some kind of way it wasn't resolved. But they said during our waking, when we, in our wake hours, we have conditions that cause us a lot of stress. They say we use a defense to just knock it into our unconscious. Mm-hmm. And then when we go to sleep, we try to process it in our dreams. That's what I was taught in psychoanalysis, and I, I think it's pretty much true based on my particular experience. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing a dream is to me is it, it's, it's an eye. And an eye is defined as an object in our body, mental or physical, that we utilize to see things. And a dream is where you see things. And um, someone brought this support. They say your dreams, if some your dreams in technicolor, something wrong. <laughs> but I can't, I can't remember a dream not being in technicolor or black and white. So that's my perception on dreams, but it's, I feel as a, a how would you say it, a, a psychotherapist that dreams are what you by can't resolve in your conscious state of mind you put it into your unconscious and I think you're familiar with that. So we say instead we I, I've been taught that you know you have the conscious, the mm-hmm. pre-conscious, and the conscious. Conscious is just what's on your mind at the particular time, and your pre-conscious is what you pull up. Mm-hmm. They say you're uh, unconscious. They say we don't have access to that in our conscious state of mind. And they say we yeah. lock it under our unconscious, and when we sleep, we try to resolve it. Thank you for hearing me, Dr. Winston. Really Muhammad, don't, go, don't, go, don't go, don't go, Muhammad. Uh, okay, do I'm you have night dream to share? Okay. Do you remember any night dream that you had recently? Would you like to share with it? Not right offhand, Dr. Uh, Okay. okay. I, I, I will tell you this. Um, this would I come up through my own observation and analysis. I think we have five physical eyes, and your sixth eye, from my perception and what I understand, is nightmares. I mean, I've done some bad things as a younger person, and I was terrified in my nightmares by it. And I actually saw things and saw people come to do this and come to do that. And I'd, I'd be screaming and hollering, and then I'd wake up. Now, that's mm. a dream in a sense, but that's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. That's where I think that nature punishes you with you, to you, punish you for what you might have think you got away in this world. That's where mm-hmm. nature, you know, your own um, conscience will come back and get you. Mm-hmm. Now, another one you see is it's a, not a dream, it's visions. I don't know if you're aware of that, but... You know, I had a vision one night, and I wasn't awake and I wasn't asleep. But I mm-hmm. saw someone, you know, kill a person. And I said, boy, what could that mean? You know, I said, because I don't, I'm not nowhere around those kind of places. But then when I woke up and went to work and all, I was in a situation where I was on the roof. So mm-hmm. the vision showed me that that was nature's way of showing me what to look out for. Now, had I not had that vision... I knew I would be dead. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what I had in the vision. So that's how well, I distinguish a vision from a nightmare and a dream. And yes, I, I've had yes. 
haven't had a haven't had a vision since then, you know. So I think mm-hmm. that was nature helping me preserve my life at that particular time. So I never I've never doubt, you know, in Spanish we say Dios and America we say God. But no matter who you might call the force of nature, the one who created us all, you know, I think it's only one. Mm-hmm. That's my thought. And when it comes to Jesus, they say he's the son of God. That mm-hmm. is very true. Son just means a product of. And he is a product of the spiritual part of God that came to, you know, warring people. That's my belief. So, Thank you, Muhammad. Thank you very much for calling. You brought up a couple of very interesting points, and I would like to, to address them. Okay, thank you very much, Dr. Resnick. Thank you Have for calling. Uh, Muhammad actually brought up uh, an interesting uh, way of looking at night dreams, and that is through psychoanalysis. That is not how I... And, and my students look at dreams. It's a very different way. Uh, for, mostly for uh, Freud, Sigmund Freud, who was an original uh, an originator of the psychoanalysis, believed that uh, night dreams are wish fulfillment or sometimes the product of our uh, anxieties, just like Muhammad shared with uh, night dreams, uh, or what he told us about night dreams that he had, which were nightmares. And as he said, there were life situations in which he happened to be, uh, and they were dangerous. And so the night dream simply reflected to him uh, back his anxieties. And, And actually, it's not that uncommon in fact, I read a long, long time ago a book called uh, Nazi Germany Dreams, if I remember correctly. And that was, you know, most people uh, supported Hitler, were proud to be Germans. But then uh, psychiatrists that they would see or neurologists at that time um, were recording the night dreams that German citizens would have, and the dreams would be uh, about abyss, horror, uh, that people were falling, people were captured, people were incapacitated, basically reflecting their unconscious anxiety about what was happening in, in Germany, which means somewhere deep inside, people understood that something was wrong. So this is one way um, you can understand dreams as as wishful feeling or reflection of unconscious anxieties. But Muhammad shared with something else. He said that uh, he had a, like a day vision or uh, or like a way daydream that showed him something, and then a real situation happened, and that daydream allowed him to escape danger. That's a different kind of, it's not even, it can be, it can come as a dream, it can come as a, as a night dream or as a daydream. And I heard about this, and I think a while ago I told you the story about uh, 
Inga Swan, uh, one of the greatest psychics of 20th century, recalled the story that something like this happened in his life, like what happened with Muhammad. When he was a young person, I don't remember it was a daydream or night dream that he had, where he was driving a car with a young, beautiful, blonde woman, and then suddenly uh, a car, and he was driving on a road like like something like in Arizona uh, or, or uh, California Death Valley, you know, where you look and there is no end to this road. And then suddenly a big truck appeared from the right and hit them. And of course, they, in, a, in a dream or this daydream, they smashed and killed. And then he became conscious. And so then 30 years passed and Ingo Swan already had, I think he describes it in one of the books he wrote, uh, Ingo Swan had a, a daughter, a beautiful blonde girl, and he was driving in Arizona with her through a desert. And you know, because there is the sameness all wherever you look, you look just a little hills, big hills, but they, you lose perception of what is big, what is close, what is far what is small. And so as he was driving, suddenly for some moment, that vision, he didn't think already for 30 years about was in his mind, because it was exactly the same picture that he saw in that vision. And he saw it now in the car. And instinctively, he slammed on the brakes. And that moment, from the hill that he didn't even notice on the right, a huge truck passed, they nearly missed it. If he would not slam on the, on the brakes, uh, he and his daughter would be killed. So that's, that's, I would call it a daydream or night dream of what would be called prevision. That, and that I think Muhammad shared with us with this kind of a dream. That, that's good. But I wanted to say uh, the way uh, I look at the night dreams uh, and my students and, and my teachers taught me a little different from the way um, Freud looked or psychoanalysis looks at them. For us, the night dream is a story in which every single person, every single thing, every object is a reflection of us. Basically, we see in the mirror ourselves. But in the mirror, you see quantity of yourself. You see one nose when you look, two ears, mouth, hair, if you have. Uh, but in the mirror called the night dream, we see qualities of ourselves. Uh, our dreaming mind is trying to teach us stories about ourselves. And therefore, it garments different parts of us into different clothing, which means into different images. Like otherwise, let's say we have many qualities, let's say 20 qualities, we can be angry, we can be kind, we can be naturally uh, uh, anxious by, by just our temperament, we can be serene, we can be aggressive, we can be a scholar, we can be a child, and so on, and so on. different aspects of ourselves. So to, to teach us about us, we would have to have a dream with kind of the same person, us, with a different sign on our forehead. 
Instead, the dreaming mind utilizes people that we know. People that we know. And the story within the dream, the drama of the dream, tells us about interaction of different qualities of ourselves. I'll give you an example. Years ago, when uh, the war, first Gulf War just happened, it, um, I woke up from a night dream uh, where I walk into a, a dining room and there are people sitting there and I see Saddam Hussein and he looks at me and recognizes me and say, hey, Peter, sit next to me. I am so embarrassed. I'm so uncomfortable. I don't like the guy. I am comfortable that people will even know that I know this guy and I wake up. So and so I worked the, the dream. I asked myself, what's the first thought that comes to me about, um, about Saddam Hussein? And remember, before the war started, Saddam Hussein was saying, you know, he will destroy America. He's so powerful and so on. So, and of course, uh, when the dream came, already the um, Iraqi troops were defeated and so on. So, so the first thought I remember that came to me about Saddam Hussein was thoughtless, thoughtless and, and irrational. Because uh, to my thinking then was that irrational because to go fight the United States with all the weapons, it was just, was just um, um, irrational. It was obvious that he would be defeated. And yet he, without any thought, he was provoking. And so at least I believe that time that's what it was. So thoughtless and irrational. And then I said, what is the drama of the dream? It's the embarrassment. I was embarrassed that the, he knows me. So, so which me, then I asked myself, when was I thoughtless and irrational? And what am I ashamed of? When, what is the experience of being ashamed of being thoughtless and irrational? And immediately I recalled a conversation that I had with my older brother like a, a day before the night dream, where we had like a discussion of something, and I really uh, got annoyed, and I hung up on my brother, which never happened, because I, you know, I was taught to be respectful to elders, people who are older than you, and my brother raised me practically, still when I, until I became a teenager, so I have great respect for my brother, and here, at advanced age, I suddenly hung up on my brother, and it was totally thoughtless uh, and irrational. So once I understood that, I picked up the phone and I apologized. I called my brother. Uh, but till that moment, I kind of, when I hung up, I felt self-righteous, and I didn't feel any guilt. But the dream revealed to me that indeed I was ashamed. Remember, I was ashamed to, to be recognized by Saddam Hussein that I was ashamed to have those qualities. So Saddam Hussein was actually uh, a figure that was utilized by my unconscious to show me, because my unconscious knows what I think about Saddam Hussein. It could, it could use somebody else. If I would be dealing with other qualities, let's say, uh, 
lovingness and kindness and extending oneself and caring about humanity. Maybe Mother Teresa would come in the scene because that's what comes to me about being loving and, and extending oneself. So but in that situation, I needed a different lesson. So that's, that's how we look at every night dream. By the way, this way of looking at night dreams is very similar to what many indigenous cultures do, like Naskapi Indians of North Canada or Sinoi people of Malaysia, all see a night dream as a message from our psyche about us, about qualities of ourselves and how these qualities interact. Anyway, now I, I want to pause again and see if anybody wants to actually share with a night dream that I could work with them. You're welcome to call now. If not, I will continue. <laughs> okay, I received another another um, email that I find interesting. Ray wrote it. And he, do you believe that Genesis 1, I believe, chapter 1, is a literally true story of creation. Why is it written in the third person, which means that the writer slash scribe slash witness existed before creation? When God said, quote, let there be light, who was she talking to? Imaginary friends? I assume here a is being sarcastic. No, not imaginary friends, um, Ray. The, the first question about that I will address, I will try to address fully about Genesis 1 and uh, how long it took the God to create the world. But regarding who uh, God was talking to when God said, let us, uh, let there be light, to whom God spoke to, that even more, you could even make a, even a bigger case. Who does God talk to when in Genesis 1, verse 26, God says, let us make, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who is he talking to again? Uh, that is answered by Talmud. Talmud is oral Torah, what we call five books of Moses are called Torah, which means instruction, the book of instructions, these five books of Moses. Um, but so there was a written Torah and there was oral Torah. And uh, without oral, the oral Torah, there would be no way to understand the instructions which are given uh, in the written Torah. Really, no, no way. It, it would be impossible. Um, so the the five books of Moses is a very it's almost a synopsis, it's a summary of uh, main laws and ideas. But to give you an idea, what Talmud is, uh, uh, if five books of Moses are five thousand eight hundred eighty eight verses, which is like a book of one hundred twenty pages, Talmud is seventy books, and its commentary on how to and oh, we have a telephone call. DK from Pennsylvania online. DK from Pennsylvania, you're on the air. Thanks for calling. 
You're welcome. How are you, Dr. Resnick? I'm good. DK, thanks for calling. You have a dream to share? Yes, I have a, um, a recurring dream. Great, great. Okay. By the way, recurring dream, uh, just like any nightmare or recurring dream, it's uh, the, when your dreaming mind wants to make sure that this issue is addressed. So you must be uh, thankful to your mind that it doesn't leave you alone, doesn't give up on you, and wants you to address it. So go ahead, DK. Wow. Okay, so I'm transported back to my childhood and mm -hmm. to my childhood bedroom. And I, when I was a child, I would raise these tropical fish. And mm -hmm. so I'm back in the bedroom. And I have, you know, these 50-gallon fish tanks. And I realize, I keep realizing that I hadn't fed the fish in a long time. And I panic, you know, because I know they're hungry. So I, you know, I get food and I rush them food and they eat. And, you know, and I can tell they're very hungry. And that's basically it. And I have this dream often. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe at least uh, twice a year. Yeah, DK, I want to ask you a question. Uh, can you tell me how old you are now? I'm 55. Okay. And the dream, uh, the, you had, you, in your waking life, you had fish, right? You had uh, a fish uh, aquarium or whatever, tank with, with fish when you were a child. Is that right? Yes, when I was a child, but not now. But not now. But how old were you when you had fish? Um, like um, 10, 11, uh -huh. early, uh -huh. my early teenage years, you know, like yes. maybe 13 or 14 or so. And... Um, when you woke up, and you said that this dream has been coming for the last year a number of times, it, it wasn't coming when you were 40, it wasn't coming when you were 30, correct? Um, I would say, yeah, when I was an adult, it, it's a recurring dream. I probably would have it a couple of times a year. Mm -hmm. So maybe, yes, I can't yes. remember when I started. Maybe in my 40s. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, up okay. recently. Okay. So let me ask you, when you, so since it happened so many times, what is the feeling when you wake up? What is the feeling usually that you feel? Um, I, I feel like because it's a recurring dream, I feel like why can't I remember to feed the fish? Like I, yeah. I don't uh, understand sorry. why. No, no, no. No, 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 DK, sorry. That's, you're not answering, you're saying, I feel like, why cannot you? That's your thinking. You see? That's mm -hmm. your thinking, why cannot I fish? But what's the feeling? The feeling of relief, the feeling of anxiety, the feeling of frustration. You see? That's the feeling. Not um, your thoughts. What is your feeling? Yeah, it's, it would be anxiety. Anxiety, okay. You see? That's... I, I want you also, you know, and everyone who listens, I want you to learn how to work your, with your own dreams. So 
so mm-hmm. anxiety and what's the location of the dream is you said that you were 10 11 year old uh, mm-hmm. so it was your home your parents home yeah correct and what's the correct. first thought that comes to you about your parents home uh, meaning like you know somebody will say oh a uh, place of joy place of horror place of learning what what's the first thought that comes to you about your parents home um i think the first word that comes to my mind would be security security yes okay and my third question is now imagine that this dream that you told us it's not a long dream uh, you mm-hmm. you realize that you didn't feed the fish and uh, mm-hmm. then you feed the fish and you see that it indeed it was very hungry and then you wake up but imagine you found a little video you picked up a video you started playing at this clip it has no title it's like a little movie short movie and you need to give it a title the reason i ask you for a title is because the title usually usually reflects the drama of what's happening in the movie so what would be the title that you would give what's the main drama of this dream hmm. um be responsible for i guess okay. responsibility Okay, responsibility. Good, thank you. So now let's tie it all together. Somewhere mm-hmm. from the age of 40, remember the dream that was unfolding in the place of what you called security. So somewhere mm-hmm. in the place of security, which is supposed to be security, uh, you suddenly become anxious mm-hmm. because you have been responsible. Now tell me, does it ring the bell? Has it been uh, something in your life from the age of 40 on and on where you are in in your waking life in the place that's supposed to be security, but because you didn't act responsibly, you are anxious? Because you see, fish is like, I understand, it's like your pet. And you took upon yourself responsibility to take care of it, correct? Mm-hmm. That's correct. Right. And, and also probably it gave you some like satisfaction or joy. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So now let's, as we use these words, something that was supposed to give you satisfaction or joy, you were not responsible about you kind of neglected you didn't destroy it but you really mm-hmm. waited till the last moment so and you have been and it's in the last 15 years that's when the dream is coming that you have been mm-hmm. in the place that is supposed to be security but there is anxiety about it because you uh, delayed, you, you wait too long, you do not take responsibility, do not take care of things that you are supposed to. Mm-hmm. Has 
something in your life? Does it ring the bell in your waking life? Uh, yes, I, I suppose so. You know, um, I, I'm a recent, I recently retired. So um, as I was working, um, I don't think that I was taking care of myself um, the best way that I could have um, because um, when you're working or when I was working, things were very hectic, um, my very, very tight. And, um, and so everything, my day was very compact and very fast. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I was not maybe sleeping enough and uh, maybe eating, not eating properly. Ah, because here is fish. Remember, you did not, you did not feed the fish. You did not feed someone right. you were responsible for. So you did not provide, mm-hmm. what is food? It's nourishment. You did not nourish, nourish decay. And, and mm-hmm. the conscious is telling you, hey, you know, you, you, you were basically undernourished. Mm-hmm. That was the last yeah. 15 years. So, and now you possibly, you, you, like you said, you woke up with anxiety. So, possibly you're yeah. anxious about how you feel, where your health is. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that, does it ring the bell? Yes, it does ring a bell, and um, I really appreciate this because this dream I've had so many times, and and I talk to my wife about it, and you know I never really figured that I would be um, talking to anyone else about this online, <laughs> much yeah. less. So it does bring some, it brings a lot of light to um, to the situation that that I was in. Yeah, but there is something else. This is not all. This would be not enough. Mm. This dream work is not just for understanding intellectually what it means, Mm -hmm. but for taking specific, concrete steps to remedy the situation, Mm. which means, like, I will tell you now, uh, suggest what to do, and we'll okay. see, again, you know, God willing, I will continue doing this show. You can call us a month, two, three, four months from now, and I'm telling you that this dream will not come again if you address the issue. It's like somebody is knocking your door and saying, hey, DK, do something, do something. For 15 yeah. years, I haven't really done it. So I will exactly. tell you what. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the show is over, you, you just will close your eyes mm-hmm. and imagine a, a mirror and, and you step through the mirror and go right into that dream. Okay. And um, take care of the fish. Make sure that the fish, you can, look, anything is possible in the world of imagination. You can even put a special feeder with mm-hmm. a clock. Remember, now we live in modern times that the, yeah. the fish is fed every whatever day or every two hours, or every six hours, every 48 hours, whatever, so that you know deep inside that the fish is taken mm-hmm. care of. You see right. that? You want to make a correction in your mind. Once you correct mm-hmm. that dream, then you also need to make changes in your waking life. That is, you have... Okay. Take God, you have a partner in life, your wife, so you need to mm-hmm. discuss 
how has it been that you neglected to nur- to, okay. to be nourished, to nourish yourself? And what you can mm-hmm. do practically, concrete th- concrete steps to take care of yourself. Because we know that when a person is undernourished, the immune system is not so strong. And as you age, you know, it, the mm-hmm. older you get, the more... Uh, you know, I was I was listening to an interview, uh, uh, um, a ninety-year-old man was interviewed, and uh, uh, the interviewer says, "Sir, how are you feeling today?" And the guy says, "Well, at my age, every morning I wake up and nothing new hurts. That's a good morning." So, and I'm telling you, I'm sixty-eight. You know, things mm-hmm. begin to hurt a little bit here, a little there, you're 55, you're not 68. So take care of yourself now, though that at 68, it wouldn't hurt. (laughs) So the dream is coming and saying, DK, please do something. And I promise you, look, 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 I'm taking a risk, I promise I have to deliver. And I promise if you make this correction that I told you, you go inside Mm -hmm. of the dream, again, you, you envision a mirror, the best I have an instruction. Do you know my uh, my website, DK? No, I don't know your website. It's very simple. It's dr p e t e r r e z n i k a k dot com. Drpeterresnik dot com. If you go on my website and go under articles, I think it's one of the first articles called Dream Work, and there I give. First of all, it's a, it's a useful thing to, to read about my dreams for your wife also. Uh, you read the article, but if you don't feel like reading the article, somewhere in uh, one page before the last one, in large letters, I write exactly a, a step-by-step instruction of how to go inside of the dream and to make a correction. Mm-hmm. It's very important to make a correction in the dream. In in the future, you're welcome to call always and share your dreams. But if if you have a night dream, let's say uh, on Wednesday, and you have a whole week before my show, you can make your own correction. Just remember that the dream is not just a reflection of where you are at the moment of dreaming, but also a blueprint of where you are going. What will happen to you? That's why this dream has been coming to you over and over again. If it was coming again and again, it means uh, the blueprint was happening. Your your psyche was saying to you, this is the blueprint. Do you want to be undernourished? Do you want to neglect yourself and feed yourself for the last moment when it's already impossible not to? And then three months later, you would have another dream because you did not heed you did not respond to that dream. You still were undernourished. You see what I mean? So you can make sure you correct the night dream, and then you talk mm-hmm. to your wife and discuss with her. She's your friend. Mm-hmm. She will tell you in what ways you are undernourishing yourself. And now, you know, if mm-hmm. not now, when? You're 55. You're not 25. So right. you deserve, you know, a lot of people... <laughs> a lot do you have children? Yes, I do. God bless you. You know, a lot of people neglect themselves and say, oh, my children, I need to do things for my children. I need to give them money. I need to do this. 
my attitude, I also have children. Uh, thank God mm-hmm. they're nice, nice, respectful, uh, intelligent human beings, independent. But yeah, but I, know I make it clear for them always. We had a discussion once about buying something, and I said, "Look, uh-huh. how long do you think a person can be functional and live fully? What's what's your what's your take?" And my son said, because he grew up with people who live long lives and and functional, he said, "Well, till eighty. And at that time, mm-hmm. he was twenty, and at that time, I was. 64. I said, if you mm-hmm. say 80, you can be functional till 80, which means, baby, I have only 16 years to go to enjoy my life. You have another 60 years. I have 16, yeah. you have 60. So who is it more, it's more urgent to give good time to? Who needs to enjoy more? I have only 16 years left. You have 60. Yeah. Well, that's how you t- tell you, you, you don't hesitate uh, uh, to nourish yourself in every possible way to ask your children, uh, not necessarily for help, but to be there because that's what you want. Whatever makes you feel nourished, you do because you, des- you earned it. By the fact that you're 55, you earned it. You lived a long life. You extended yourself. If your children are alive, <laughs> if you didn't <laughs> kill them and didn't um, uh, torture them with with starvation, you did already well. They're grown, fantastic. Now you have to enjoy yourself. Okay, DK. Thank you so much, Doctor Rosnick. And please I call, us, call us in the future and let us know if the dreams are not coming. But also, when you make this correction to this dream new, more Mm -hmm. positive dreams may begin to come. You will see. You will see. Okay? Thank you very much for calling today. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I wanted to to talk to uh, to you about um, Genesis 1, the age of the universe, whether I take it literally or not. But we cannot do it because our time is up. I'm very happy that people actually called. We can talk about it uh, next week. Uh, and uh, next month, a month from now, last last uh, Tuesday of the, uh, February, we'll have another talk on night dreams. And for now, enjoy your week. Uh, be happy. Peace to all who want to live in peace. <laughs>